listening to Beyond the Class, a podcast brought to you by the Center for Teaching and Learning at Cape Breton University. I'm your host, AJ Fraser, and in this episode, we talk to Dr. Bashaka Mazumdar, Assistant Professor of Organizational Management in the Shannon School of Business. CBU's enrollment and student demographics have shifted significantly since I was an undergraduate student starting just 18 years ago. We have students from India, China, Southeast Asia, Nigeria, South America, Western and Eastern Europe. You'd be hard-pressed to name a country one of our students isn't from. The shift in student composition and swelling of our campus community has meant exciting and lasting changes to Sydney and surrounding communities. It's been a really exciting time to live here, but it hasn't been without its challenges for both students and faculty. Vishaka herself was an international student in Canada and now as a valued member of CBU's faculty. Not only is she doing incredible work in innovating teaching and challenging paradigms in teaching business curriculum, she's deeply considering the international student experience and what we can do to support these students as they study here in Cape Breton. I enjoyed our conversation. I hope you do too. My name is Vishakha Mazumdar. So since 2019, January, I teach at Cape Breton University as an assistant professor um, at the School of Business. I primarily teach human resource management and organizational behavior, those courses, yeah. And then um, more recently, there's been an announcement that you have another role at the university. What would that role be? Uh, okay, from May 2023, so I am the teaching chair in culturally um, informed learning practices. I may not have said the phrase exactly right, but that's how I see myself doing the thing. So congratulations! Thank you. Um, and Thank I'm, you so I'm much. Very excited because the teaching chairs get to work with the CTL, mm-hmm. and um, that means I get to work with you. So uh, this is one of the the things I was really hoping to do with this particular series of the podcast episodes to get to have a good conversation with our teaching chairs um, and maybe delve into some of the things that um, we're going to be looking at over your your tenure. Um, so today we're going to talk about uh, teaching to the international student experience um, and there's a lot of different ways we could go with the conversation. In your opinion, um, and your own experience, what differentiates the international student experience from a domestic student experience in higher education? Um, First, one disclaimer, um, AJ, that international students, they are also not very homogeneous. So it depends on um, a lot of things, like what stage they're in, whether they're first generation or second generation, whether they had come straight from their country to Canada, or they um, they have had international exposure before, which country they are coming from, whether there are large, huge cultural distances between the countries they are traveling, etc. But overall, um, drawing from my experience as an international student, uh, as well as someone who has been teaching international students, I would say. There are a number of things uh, an international student goes through that's different from natives. One is um, that they are at various stages of developing a new identity. So um, as for me, I 
I can tell you I was um, a woman back in Bangladesh. Uh, so there are, there are gender role, what is expected of you as a female, as someone who is responsible for a family is completely different. So I had, I had been a, a, in a process of identity construction for a major part of my education life. I had left behind most of my um, comfort things and areas like it can be as simple as a pillow, it can be someone, it can be a place. So I was in the process of finding new ones to ground my identity, to anchor my emotions with. Um, so that, that was one difference. Number two is teaching pedagogy is widely different. The country I come from, it most of the education is um, professor-led, institution-led, so there's not much student agency involved. You don't ask students much about their what your opinion is. So, um, and there are so many other things, for example, power distance. Cultural differences in terms of what you expect, to what extent you expect help from your professor or from the community as a whole. I can give you an example. Mental health has never been a huge thing back when I was studying. Nobody thought about students need support in terms of mental health. Or um, failure is mostly internalized. Failure is something um, that happens because you are not capable of handling something. So that reflects your capacity. So it was, I, I won't say it's a, it's the same now, um, things have improved ever since, I won't give you my age, but ever since I have graduated, but still many countries, there are those differences. Many students are dealing with financial strain because um, if you think about currency conversion, especially the country I come from, one Canadian dollar equals 60 in my currency. So when you start buying coffee, suddenly it's not $1 or $2. You're calculating in your mind, it's 120 taka in my currency. So these things takes a little bit of adjustment. Um, I had to live uh, with uh, like um, suitcase, not having enough space to put down everything I want in a place. So it happens with students like Many students came to me about purchasing textbook. They said that if I purchase um, hard copies, textbook for every course I take, I don't have space to store them. What do I do with them later? I want to save some of them, but I don't know why, where, how. And uh, there are um, life choices to make. It's seldom you come to a new country with expectations regarding your performance, regarding what you'll do in life, regarding how we'll, how we'll engage with the community. And it's seldom what you expected that it to be when you were back in your country. So it's, it's a constant process of adjustment, especially when you come from a collective culture, where, which I did. Um, it's not always about only your success. It's not only about um, when I call back home, um, if they talk about a problem that's happening in my uncle's house, I cannot say, sorry, I have an exam. I cannot think about this right now. You are not an individual entity 
responsible for your own success at any point of time there are at least um, several strings that are attached that you have to think about so these are some of the things i have noticed especially in terms of teaching pedagogy that uh, they find it really challenging when we suddenly throw at them uh, so many choices and I, I will probably later talk about it, uh, the mistakes I made mm -hmm. by giving too many choices, too many alternatives, because yeah. then students get confused. So, um, you know, you, you talked about your own experience, and I think that that's pretty valuable. I shot a video with you, um, I guess it was last summer, mm -hmm. was it? Oh, my mm -hmm. goodness. The, the year goes by so quick. Um, you know, and in that, you, you had talked about your own experience as a student coming to Canada. Did you have... Um, experience in the undergraduate level in um, Bangladesh? Um, I had my undergraduate and BBA and MBA I had completed in Bangladesh. Then I had 10 years of work experience, so no studies between uh, like my MBA and uh, my PhD, starting off my PhD. Okay, so how, how did you find the two? It was a huge... Um, very steep learning curve, I okay. would say. Yeah. Uh, on one hand, um, I will just add here, I was talking about adaptation of life choices. Mm -hmm. I came here not to do my PhD. I came here because my husband was doing PhD. Oh. But I came here, I talked to one of the professors at MUN, and I was um, inspired to pursue some of the questions I had as I probably mentioned earlier that I come from a country that's primarily um, patriarchal. So I had a lot of questions about my experience in my work life. So I talked to the then associate dean of Memorial University and she said it's a very good area to pursue. So I jumped in. So one of the things um, that I found of course difficult in addition to what I said to you right now and all the challenges of international students. Um, I found that help-seeking behavior is hugely absent. Okay, can you explain that help-seeking behavior? Okay, so I had uh, at MUN, the, for PhD, there are 11 courses when I started, so that's a huge number of courses, graduate level courses, and um, most of my cohort members, they were wonderful people. They had studied in, in the same university. They knew how to look for literature, how to like online. For me, before that stage, everything was textbook based, very structured textbook based. I have never read any academic article before. And uh, I, when I started reading, I would forget everything I'd read on the first page before I went to the second page. And of course, I internalized all this as, well, um, I'm older than average. I'm not qualified to be here, imposter syndrome, total. And uh, it's all about I will fail, I was almost sure. So it went on for at least two semesters. I was handling, I came here with uh, my um, three and a half year old son who was also adjusting with the community at that point. And he was also grieving our uh, 
always adjusting, not having his people around him, my mom, my cousins, everyone, his other uh, set of grandparents. Um, what I did not know is I could seek help for mental health issues. I could sell, uh, seek help talking to my professors that I need some additional guidance because I have never done this kind of assignments before. Um, I was, um, I thank myself and my cohort members, they were great people. Uh, I overcame my, I would say, shyness or hesitation and asked them for help. At, at that point, it seemed so like they, I don't think they have met anyone in their circle who didn't know how to do literature search. Right. I don't think they haven't met anyone who doesn't know what peer-reviewed meant. Right, because even at the, I mean, the the PhD level, like in Canada, to get a, a master's, mm -hmm. you, you've got to do a significant amount of yes. that type of work, but not the same back home. No. Okay. And when you are talking about citation, how, why do I cite? When do I cite? Where do I take the sources from? What is a valid source? So these are, these look like to me at that point, I must be asking very stupid questions and I'm sure they, they were. Suddenly someone comes to do a PhD, you sh expect them to have some basic knowledge about research and everything. I didn't. So I wish I had sought help mm -hmm. way before than I did. Um, and I learned the hard way. I had a huge car accident. I won't go into that. But later, I want to really highlight this part. I talk about it to my students. Um, I consulted help. I am on medication for anxiety and depression, and I think it's important. Culturally, it's a taboo. Mm -hmm. You don't talk about it. I don't talk about my mental health, my um, medicine, anxiety, etc. Definitely. But it's a reality. It's, it's not... It doesn't take your identity. It doesn't take your, um, it shouldn't affect your self-confidence or anything. So I talk to my students continuously. Mm -hmm. If you need help, if you need medication, if you need to reach out to someone, if you don't understand anything, ask questions, seek help. And I actually had a publication in MAN2. They did an article on me. I All I said is just reach out. Right. There are resources, but that culture is not here. And I, and I suppose for anybody who is listening to this that um, either wants to seek help themselves or to advise students mm -hmm. that um, that help is out there should they need it, we do have the Nancy Dingwall um, Center yes. for, for uh, Health, and they have uh, counselors on staff and nurses and um, doctors on staff as well. Um, so you, if you want to seek help, if you're an employee, a staff member, a student, or if you want to advise your students to um, to maybe, you know, if somebody's looking for help, that would be a good place to start. And there are other resources out there. So I, I appreciate you bringing that up. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. What other considerations, I think, um, relating to that international student experience should faculty keep in mind when either developing new courses, refreshing um, their curriculum, or looking at their own instructional design practices. So you talked about um, mental health. You talked about some of like the cultural uh, differences, and you know your own experience uh, coming from Bangladesh. There's 
We have mm-hmm. students from China. We have students from uh, Vietnam, mm-hmm. uh, uh, different countries in South America, Central America, um, uh, Africa. We have students from Nigeria and Ghana. Um, so, you know, what are some of the things that the faculty, faculty should be considering when developing their curriculum, their course design, their instructional design? Uh, the first thing I um, I suggest to understand is um, understanding the student. So it's it goes beyond culture, it goes beyond religion, it goes beyond a lot of things, uh, family structure, age, everything. So sometimes I start my uh, class asking students, tell me, um, how do you start your day? What are the steps? I can give you an example. When I first came to Canada, the first few steps of my starting the day, I know it will be starkly different from others. Um, Taking a shower, saying my prayers, and by saying my prayers, there are various religious rituals that takes me at least um, half an hour or so to complete. Um, Making sure everyone has breakfast, making lunch for, so, You see, if you have a class at eight, how the students are coming to their class, some students may have woke up just at 7.30, came to your class. Some students, because of all these demands on you, may have, like, uh, may get up as early as 5.30 a.m. and start all the process and then come to you. So what it does, it says, tells you about what their days are look like, what are their priorities, what makes up a an ideal situation as a day for them understanding that they come from success means different things to different people so may for many international students success may mean uh, ultimately immigration for many international students they will probably haggle over two marks because back in at least my country competition is a huge thing especially at below undergrad levels. Mm -hmm. So here students don't have any graded assignments up until they go to high schools. Back in my country, they're still ranking like first, second, third and everything. So if they don't score really high at the top level, sometimes they feel they are not doing justice to their family who has sent them here for the education. And success is not only for themselves. You see, it's a collective culture sometimes. Success is for everyone. Um, using inclusive terminology and not only in terms of gender sometimes the same thing means different things to different people when I referred my students to go to university calendar many of them did not understand why would a course description or something like that should be on the calendar calendar is a thing that tells you the date and the month that's that so there are cultural differences so what I did um, I changed some of the titles in my course outline. For example, instead of saying communication protocol, I said, how do I contact you? How do you contact me? What are the things you need for the class? More conversational, making it easier. Some of my students said that they felt really good when I said their name. Maybe I didn't pronounce it right, but I showed them that I'm trying. To remember them as an individual so one of my students said that they felt quite at home they felt they matter when they knew that we are taking notice of them as an individual student sometimes uh, be prepared to be surprised equity 
diversity, inclusion, it comes in many forms. I know the ideal situation is um, we should all be accepting of different cultures, different um, you know gender expression, sexual identities. I'll share one experience with you. It was an online class, my human resources management class. We were in a very engaged discussion on um, how organizations should accommodate different sexual expression, um, gender expression, etc. And suddenly one of the students who were um, discussing went off. She later came, came back to apologize that um, her computer was not in a private place. So there were um, her elders in the family there and they wouldn't appreciate her talking about all these topics. And it's, it's, it's good to understand and know that um, sexual orientation, different gender expression has a religious connotation, especially for students coming from different countries. And it's not always accepted. So I learned my lesson. I usually warn students that next topic will be this, this, this. We are in a safe place. We'll talk about it. I would also just suggest that sometimes students may be, um, as you said, what should um, faculties keep in mind. Mm -hmm. One major thing is power distance. Okay. Many, many cultures, uh, we don't contradict with our elders and um, we don't contradict with our teachers, mentors. So many students may not be highly forthcoming if they don't agree with you. If you ask them to, um, especially in class participation, I have found that if you just leave it to their initiative, they fall behind sometimes. It helps to give them some incentive. It helps to give ask a question they can really readily, because I know I, I always struggled with my opinion as um, I had imposter syndrome, whether I'm saying the wrong thing, it's the silly thing, because I knew a lot of things that my cohort members knew and I didn't. So I had that always in my mind that maybe it's only me who doesn't know this. So maybe sometimes prompting them, sometimes encouraging them to just say something from your country, say something from your culture that's different. So um, that, that helps. We did a map activity, pointing on the map, um, thanks to CTL. Mm -hmm. Padlet, we uh, developed a thing where everybody put a pin on where they are from, exact city, not even the country. Right. Because students appreciated because uh, I did it in the postback and many students, they were from India in postback. They said, well, you know, India is not one small country. We come from so many different places and it's so I'm so happy I could pin exactly where I am from. Yeah. And I was so happy to see so many pins on that map. Uh, around my area. So that was something that we had really fun with. This, um, you know, this is something maybe I could follow up with later, but I want to kind of uh, jump on it while we've talked about it. Um, you're taking on this, um, uh, this role as a teaching chair, looking mm -hmm. at, um, you know, looking at, you know, studying and, you know, promoting the, um, 
the viewpoints of, of international students uh, in higher education at, in the CBU context. Mm-hmm. And Cape Breton University has a large international student um, population, right? It's We have more international students at our university than we have domestic students. Um, and um, and right now, primarily, um, the, the largest contingent of our international student body are from India. Yes. And so there, there are cultural differences between Bangladesh and India. And then mm-hmm. in, within India, we know a lot of our students come from Kerala and the Kerala region, and most of our students come from uh, the Punjab area and those, mm-hmm. uh, d- the north and south, right? They have they have their different contexts. But I wonder kind of going forward within the strategic enrollment management plan, as we uh, seek to diversify the country of origin, that composition of international student body that we have, um, how do we go forward with internationalization when students are coming from widely different backgrounds? You know, some of the things you've mentioned um, are maybe closer akin to your own personal experience because it's within that the kind of a subcontinent. Mm-hmm. Um, but looking at students from China, Southeast Asia, mm-hmm. uh, students coming from Africa, more students coming in through Europe or doing exchanges from South America or Central America. How do we, do we have to take a totally individualized approach or are there some commonalities just from not being from Canada to begin with? Uh, frankly, AJ, that's um, that's what my teaching chair role is almost about. I am, I, I was thinking about it, and I what I came like uh, to terms with is this is not about applying what I know. This is more about knowing what I don't know and sharing with it with everybody. So, in terms of culture, um, there are at least five underlying dimensions that Hofstede says that. Uh, that are overall differences among cultures. We talked about power distance, how mm-hmm. you view power, authority, whether there are hierarchies within, you know, social systems, and um, and then there are masculinity, femininity. Some cultures are more achievement oriented. So if you look at those dimensions, there will be commonalities. It is no way possible to actually individualize education. And I also tell students that um, it is also their responsibility. We can provide help, we can offer them solutions, but they have to take one step ahead too. And uh, that step often involves coming out of their comfort zone. That step sometimes involved having dissonance in your mind regarding your identity, regarding your cultural identity, your religious identity, and resolving it. So it's it's a two-way process. So the university alone cannot do it. Uh, students alone, of course, cannot do it. It's a joint effort, and it can never be individualized. No. Uh, from the faculty perspective, how do they encourage students to make those leaps? Um, the first thing is just creating a safe environment to express yourself where you don't feel you are an imposter. You don't feel all the things that you don't have, for example, a Canadian degree, for example, um, a house here, your parents here, a support group here. Not let those things define you. 
So one of the major things they can do is I often talk about my own vulnerabilities that, well, you know, I often start my discussions with uh, um, English is not my first language. I'm still learning and you'll probably uh, notice I am missing uh, propositions. I'm missing articles because those things were not in my religion, um, uh, own language. I don't have that. Uh, our pronouns are uh, not gender specific. Our pronouns are more non-binary inclusive in that way. So you'll hear me making mistakes in English. Feel free to raise your hand and tell me that this is not the way it's said. You'll um, know I'm not pronouncing it right. Please feel free. And I, I once shared with them uh, one reviewer feedback on my one of my papers that you see I've been working on this paper for about one year now and still this is the feedback I received. Right. And I have two other PhD members who had graduated from top level universities in Canada who has also gone through this paper and have noticed. So any feedback you get from me or any of your instructors, it's not about criticism. It's about making improvements. And I try to, what I try to communicate to them is if you wait for your English to get perfect before you want to speak, it may never happen. But you have to go on with your life if you're deciding to put your roots down here. So I talk to them about my vulnerabilities. I show them various feedbacks I have received before and maybe I do receive and tell them that this is how I take it. So they are okay. They feel okay that, well, they don't have to be perfect. Nobody is comparing them to any native students either. Well, you know, one one thing that I think uh, I do, you know, I hear about international students have like there's significant significant barriers. A, there's barriers to students being able to access Canadian education in the first place, mm -hmm. and then once they do arrive in Canada and they're enrolled in post secondary education, there's barriers to them um, being successful in you know, the completion of these programs. Mm -hmm. um, and just wondering if you can speak a little bit about two barriers that these international students, um, uh, you know, across Canada might be facing. One of the barriers, of course, as I say, is English, uh, knowing English. And English is uh, another interesting thing. English, uh, what English has taken different form in different countries too. And you'll find many of us have worked uh, in environments like back in my country where I used to work, the main language was English for sure. But sometimes that English was literal translation of the expression we had in Bengali. Similar thing you'll notice people from India or China or somewhere else, literal translation of the expression. I probably used this example before too. Uh, one of the students I was in a committee with, they said that you'll probably hear someone asking you, what is your good name? You may think it's funny, but it's a literal expression where uh, first name are very sacred back in my part of the world. You don't just call people by their first name. So that's another struggle I forgot to mention. My supervisors took a long time understanding me and making me comfortable with calling me, um, like letting me call their first names. They said, you have the option, you may not want to, but we just want to diminish the power distance. As long as you'll call us doctor this, doctor that, you won't feel free to come to us with 
your problems. It is an interesting dichotomy, right? Yeah. So, so uh, using honorifics or using, um, let's say, authoritative language in itself mm-hmm. is showing respect. However, also um, by in in our in our Canadian context, using first names and things can also be a sign of respect. We are familiar. We are friends. True. You know, it's uh, yeah. There's an interesting difference, and I think it would be confusing for a student. Very confusing at times. It takes a little bit of getting used to. I'm a doctor quite often, by the way. I get If I get an email from a student, sometimes I'm a doctor. And I think it's just because I work at a university. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, you assign, get assigned roles. And they um, sometimes there is um, kind of taking you as the model. You are supposed to know everything as your teacher and everything. So uh, as I was getting into, like, what are the barriers? So these are some of the barriers, getting used to the common way people do things. And they're even learning a new lifestyle, not only the education, depending on what stage of acclimatization they're in. They're learning to cook new food. They're learning to make do with things they thought indispensable back in their country. They're learning sometimes, some people, especially who are coming undergraduate, first time managing their own money. They're learning many people have not worked many old jobs back in their country. Many have, I have come from um, a mid-level manager position. I had to learn to lower my expectation. I had to learn to go, uh, and I had to learn that it's it's all work is respectable, which is not the thing back in some of the countries. There's a social strata, you know? Mm-hmm. So all these things they learn. There are barriers in terms of understanding what your teacher wants. So back in my country, the expectations are pretty simple. You memorize the words, word for word, the text and everything. You just reproduce it. The closer your reproduction is to the original text, the better marks you get. Here, on the other hand, we expect students to critically reflect on what they have learned. What is its connection with the real life world? Why are two cases different? So these critical analysis questions are not asked back in our country. Um, I have another interesting example that I would like to give. When I started writing my assignments, so one of my um, supervisors, she was very kind and very encouraging, and we are very good friends now. So she said, uh, when I start writing assignments, I started say you asked me about um, reflect on the career choices made by say John. Mm-hmm. I would evidently start from John's grandfather. I would describe where John lived. I would describe what his family, what his family values are, what constitutes his daily life. And she would like, what's the connection with his now current career choices with all this background? John is nobody without his grandfather. Right. So that's the importance of context that mm-hmm. took a lot of uh, my writing. I had to cut it down and straight down go to John and straight go to take into consideration that maybe uh, John had agency in what he did. And these are the factors that affected him. Maybe culture background is one factor, but what about the others? So That's so fascinating. It is. I haven't, yeah, I haven't really considered it. Yeah, but I, I find it my in my students, uh, 
essays too. When they start writing about something, they inevitably go about, if they, I ask them to talk about what is, uh, tell us about the more um, interesting recruitment practices that you have seen. I give them company names and find it interesting. They will inevitably start with what is recruitment? Um, why is recruitment important? And I keep continuously telling them, it's, I am assuming at your stage, you know what recruitment is and I don't, audience does not need to know what recruitment is. Mm -hmm. But they are like, no, we need backgrounds, right. we need context. So that's an interesting. One of the, one of the things that you'd brought up earlier, uh, talking about uh, students' goals and achieving um, mm. what they'd set out to, and you had mentioned uh, about setting down roots in Canada. Some students, mm -hmm. their, their main objective is either permanent residency, uh, eventually maybe citizenship. Um, and, you know, that would be the case for some of our international students, certainly not all of them. Some are coming for uh, specifically for Canadian education. But, you know, I was having a discussion about engagement with another faculty member on one of these podcasts that's going to be releasing. And we were talking about um, how do we keep students engaged? If we know that engagement mm -hmm. um, is an important aspect of maintaining academic integrity, right, where students are deciding to uh, submit their original work. Um, they're not going to engage in uh, text generative tools and, and that mm -hmm. sort of thing. Um, how do we how do we encourage that type of engagement with students that their primary goal isn't necessarily the education itself, right? The primary goal might be, the um the permanent residency status or the citizenship moving here eventually because they they you know they have an education mm -hmm. back home that's something that is is interesting to me um and then also you know are we are we serving these students the best way possible is this something that you're gonna be looking at in your teaching chair um, for sure, it's a very interesting question, AJ. So uh, I'll go one step back. You talked about many students whose primary, primary goal is um, immigration, mm -hmm. and which is, um, which is true for many cases, especially in this part of uh, Atlantic Canada. Many students are coming here primarily motivated by the Atlantic uh, provinces easier approach to immigration because of our aging population, we don't have enough people, etc. But these students who have made up their life, minds uh, are in a better place than those students. For example, I was a part of them who hasn't. Because uh, you know you're going to stay here, but part of you, whenever I talk to my people back in my country, I mm -hmm. always had this illusion that when I come back, this is what I'm going to do. They also had this expectation, you know, we have no one to look after this. When you come back, so these students are in a worse off position because they are, they have this dilemma continuously going inside them that whether they are going back. One foot in one world and one foot in the other. Another world. Yeah. They have continuously, they challenge whether sh should I adopt this new way of speaking? Should I adopt this new way of uh, challenging you, um, my supervisor, when I have to, I know I have to cut it down when I go back in my country, right? So there I have to say, yes, sir, you are right. So I don't contradict. So 
for Canada or uh, for US as well, or most of the countries that are struggling with aging population, it's a reality that students, we need these students. And it's both sides. The students also, many of them are coming here. What, uh, how we can engage them? Uh, we can engage them only when we can make them appreciate that whatever we are talking about right here, right mm -hmm. now, is going to have positive impact on them going forward in their work life. For me, it's easy. I usually, for human resources management, organizational behavior, I am easily, I can easily relate it to how it will help them in building up a career. For some subjects, it can be a little bit difficult, I understand. But for me, it has been pretty easy. I talk to them about what skills worked for me. Um, I we usually one of the things students struggle, especially those who come from far away countries, is group work, teamwork, trying to make it more objective, giving them specific roles to fulfill instead of leaving it to the group that well you figure it out how you want to work. They haven't done it before, mm -hmm. so I connect it with their actual organizational roles. That in this meeting someone will be a note taker. Someone will keep the agenda. Someone will be like of a secretary, not a necessarily secretary, coordinate the meetings and everything. What is your communication channel? So making this workable for them, making them understand it, it is actually preparing them for their job interviews, for taking the next step ahead is what will help them. That so, engages so, them. so not even in just in the assignment itself, but in the assigning of the assignment and in, in kind of yes. setting it up for them, you are helping to um, exemplify mm -hmm. what it might be like to work in a Canadian organization. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, fa that's fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, also I tell them like, even when I develop assignments, I let them peer review. And I tell them, you know what? Some of us are very good at fault finding. It doesn't have to be a bad thing. Mm -hmm. Let's find fault to what they didn't do. And they do you, go. Do you, do you find that contentious ever? No. 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 Uh, I usually go with a blind process, and I tell them it it doesn't reflect on your grade on or the uh, people who is being assessed their grade. It only impacts your grade because I see whether you are able to see the connection or not, able to impartially assess them or not. So that's also something they find interesting because now they are reviewing a paper from maybe a Canadian student. And now they know that, well, they are not also 100% perfect. There are things like this is building confidence as well. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we are doing, as one of my students actually gave me a very good idea. Share an assignment that you thought was like touched all the points. So that gives them a clear goal where to like in terms of quality, what to achieve. So I will probably do it in future. That this is an assignment I looked at, and it it's so good. You can improve on that. You can adapt from that. So ac according to preparing them for their journey in Canada, I think one of the major things is experiential learning, mm -hmm. so they can connect their education with how they are going what um, organizations can do, or especially universities, I find a major thing missing, AJ, is we are talking to international students about, um, well, we are welcoming whatnot. I don't know how much orientation local native students have in terms of all the cultures that are, we are dumping on them, even the community. 
whether there is a dialogue that these are the students or these are the people coming from all over the world these are the unique things these are the similarities maybe we can expect the community to be open but they need the preparation too mm-hmm. we are just i i sometimes find we are just forcing them to accept without having any context any background any anything yeah i so. I, one of the things i've i've noticed and you know i've had to speak to some some people about and do some educating is that you know at this point in time in the CBRM if uh, uh, if somebody sees an, a person with brown skin mm-hmm. they are automatically from India and they're an international True. student you mm-hmm. know and and that's problematic for people who aren't from India yeah, uh, and, and aren't necessarily students or, or maybe they, they they're generational Canadian or or whatever so this type of stereotyping is problematic yes it is I I have uh, been positively and negatively stereotyped like um, as sometimes I I struggle to pay my bills because some people will jump in and say oh no 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 let me pay your bills you are struggling already so much and I'm like no <laughs> I have crossed that page now I'm I, I'm thankful right. it is a positive thing but I'm thankful but you know yeah. so um, that's one thing that communities or especially universities should do that preparing the community around you for these different cultures for amalgamation of cultures for residing side by side with different cultures etc showing the students a clear career path the options they have it's not only jobs you can open your own business Um, it's not only always going out of your house like now remote work is also a thing so all the different options that we have in the community, exposing them to all of this, bringing in business organizations to let them know that these are the this is the thing we are developing. These are the students who will be coming to the community soon. So creating those platforms, networking, and making them understand that they belong. Mm-hmm. So it 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 can be the first thing that we have to develop that you belong here. As I said, it, it's always an identity construction process, yes. giving them positive feedback that no, you are not an imposter. No, uh, you don't have to hide. You don't have to change all the ways of your like religious, cultural, everything. We are open. We can take it, take each other as we are. So that's a major step, yeah. Any, any one of the things we talked about today, um, we could have an extended conversation about and hopefully Mm -hmm. we will in the future um we are gonna wrap up this conversation but i was wondering do you have any additional thoughts or things you would just like to leave with faculty who might be listening to this episode um i would like them to think really hard about uh the assignments that they design how are they going to benefit the students we often get too stuck in like this is the standard like examinations are the standards multiple choice questions are the standards but they actually create systemic barriers for students who don't uh, whose uh, first language is not english also for students who do not work well under time pressure so creating assignments that actually bring out the you can assess the learning outcomes may be con- non-conventional giving students multiple options to complete assignments. I had, uh, I'm not saying I'm the best in this, but 
I saw that when I gave them options, for example, some people recorded their reflection, some people recorded, uh, wrote down their reflection. Instead of making one big exam, the primary focus of the whole course, maybe break it down. Because especially international students, they have ups and downs and um, they have to deal with those ups and downs in different time zones, different cultural backgrounds, whatnot. So if they don't do well in one, so that they have the opportunity to get back up, do better. I have learned my lessons not to give too many options mm -hmm. because choice and agency were some of the things that were not present back when I, like back in some of the countries. So showing them a little bit of structure but within that structure, giving them space to express themselves, giving them an opinion. So, and lastly, all I want to say is, um, it's simple. As long as they know you care, um, they will open up and they will try to do their best. Just showing them you care, it's, uh, it's not given. It's not given for international students. They don't expect, they don't take it for granted. They don't take that. Um, that accommodation is for granted. So maybe it will take a little bit of going extra step to make them understand it's okay to ask for that help. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for being here, having a conversation thank with you. us today. I uh, really appreciate it and hopefully you can have another one in the future. Thank you. I look forward to it. Thank you. You're listening to Beyond the Class podcast brought to you by the Center for Teaching and Learning at Cape Breton University. I want to thank Bishaka for sharing her personal experience and her expertise, her opinions. Um, I think it was very insightful. I want to thank my colleagues, Rod, Terry, Laura, Nicole, Debbie, Courtney. I want to thank you for listening. Um, if you've been listening to each episode. Thank you so much. If this is your first one, you can check out our archives, subscribe to us on Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, stay curious.